0: This is season eight of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast.
1: I'm D.L. Mayfield.
0: I'm Crispin Mayfield.
1: And this season we're talking about the thorniest, maybe horniest subject we've ever done, Christian romance. Are you ready, Crispin?
0: I don't think I am, but here we go. What are you saying uh uh-oh about? (laughs) We're rolling. We're rolling. So this is on <laughs> the record.
1: Okay, well, I just, like, I've been collecting Christian books, obviously, for this series. And so I was like, I know I have some bonnet books around here somewhere, which is what we call Amish romance in the biz. Um, so I grabbed a few from the shelf and I was like, oh, it'll just be a fun joke. It'll be a fun gag. I'll just like read Crispin the back of one of these books. But then I said, uh-oh, as soon as I started reading, so...
0: Yeah. There we go. Because it's not a joke. Okay,
1: well. It's that
0: bad, or it's like trigger warning. Listen to
1: this, okay? I just picked this book off the shelf. It's called Hester on the Run. Hester's Hunt for Home, book one. A romance set in colonial America by the best-selling Amish author. Now, nothing about this says Amish, except by the best-selling Amish author, Linda Byler. But the tell me about the lady on the cover. Tell me.
0: Well, it uh, I mean she's wearing a bonnet. I feel like this looks like an American girl doll grown up.
1: But Amish, right? With a bonnet? Or yeah. just Kirsten?
0: I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't like, mm-hmm. she sort of looks Latina to me.
1: Well, here we go. Here we go. Okay. In the early days of an eastern Pennsylvania Amish settlement, a young Amish couple finds a Lenape inf- infant wrapped in deerskin and left by a spring. Hans and Kate Zug name the child Hester, cherishing her despite the pointed question of Hans' mother. What makes you think you can raise her Amish with her Indian blood?
0: Oh, now I see why you said uh-oh. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well... That is a woman of color in a way, but I'm, I am I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure that this person's ethnicity is indigenous, is who is that, the
0: model. Is that why Hester is on the run? Hester's hunting for home.
1: Th- there's just so
0: much problematic. I don't know.
1: Interesting. So this lady, this author, Linda Beiler, grew up Amish and is an active member of the Amish church today, which I think is kind of rare, which we'll, we'll get into it, I'm not sure, in this... You know, episode before we okay, Chrisman.
0: First of I'm all We're just
1: getting too deep in here. Welcome to the Prophetic Imagination Station. I know
0: this is our Christian romance season, which by the way, I was thinking no other seasons have we just titled like the thing that it is. Really? <laughs> yeah. This is so straightforward. We're okay. just it's just Christian romance, but you know, it, yeah, it works.
1: That's what it is. And today we are diving into the world of Amish romance, which is a big deal. In Christian inspirational fiction. I love the person I talk to. Um, I don't know. I feel like for our Patreon community, and everyone should join our Patreon because it's really awesome. I feel like you and I should live stream us going to one of the few operating Christian bookstores in our town. (laughs) And we'll live stream... Me so like you're gonna distract the person at the cash register and then I'm gonna live stream myself in the Christian fiction section and show everyone every single title I can find that's Amish. Okay. And then like we can place bets in the Patreon community. Like you can say, like, <laughs> I think you're gonna find 40 titles. Somebody will be like, I think you're gonna find 17. Those people will be wrong. What if somebody says a hundred? Like, who knows?
0: Right? And <laughs> okay. then
1: when then they'll get a prize. Uh-huh. So come join our Patreon community for as little as a dollar fifty a month, prophetic imagination station. It's actually it's what? Patreon.com slash DLM. Mm-hmm. Find us right. there. So I was just really excited to finally talk to Valerie um Zercher Weaver because she's an editor. You and I actually worked with her a little bit because we did the study questions for the 40th anniversary edition of Donald Craybill's book, The Upside Down Kingdom. Uh-huh. And Valerie was working at that publishing house. Anyways, she wrote this book called The Thrill of the Chase, where uh, it was published in 2000. Thrill
0: of the Chase.
1: The Thrill of the Chase. And it's about Amish romance.
0: It's an important tea there.
1: And um, yeah, she's just a fabulous person. We get really into it. And I just want to say, really quick, you will just be able to tell in a lot of these interviews, but this one, it really stood out to me too, that I am, like, always trying to talk myself down from the ledge and be like, no, like, what women read is good. And, like, I'm not going to, like, poo-poo what women read because, like, women are just trampled upon in our society. And so, like, I'm not here to judge. And I'm, like, trying to be very cool and very chill about it. And then by the end of the interview, it was just like, yeah, Amish communities are enclaves of whiteness, which is why white. white evangelical women love them. And so I'm just like, if you feel like you're a bit on a roller coaster with me, well, you are. Just buckle up and hop on the ride, okay? Was that
0: a, you just looked at me and said, "If you feel like you're a bit on a roller coaster with me,"
1: have you had this experience, Chris, where I'm like actively trying to talk myself out of like going to the deep dark place, and I'm like, "No, this is cool. This is chill. This is fine. I'm objective. Yes. I'm chill." And then by the end, I'm like, I'm not chill at all. Burn it to the <laughs> mother effing ground.
0: I have had that experience, but I'm sure other people, <laughs> our listeners, have had that experience Well, that's experience what I'm saying. I'm saying, time.
1: buckle up, listeners. Right. Um, because I do go on that journey in this little
0: interview. Okay, here's my question mm-hmm. for you. So I thought that it was really interesting uh, in the last episode that Daniel Solman said that when Christian romance came about, it was not just about not wanting to read about sex, but, mm-hmm. like, a lot of the romance that existed was, like, really icky and not good news for women.
1: Well, I don't know.
0: That was what he said. Okay. Um, and then uh, in this interview, you talk about um, about, like, the – talk about, like, how life is really hurried. And how a lot of people like to read this because of the like slow pace of life, etc. Now you mm-hmm. like old British TV shows that I think are sort of similar. Like you love. I'm
1: not the only one in the world <laughs> that know. likes these things. That's true,
0: but it made me wonder, like, why do you like the these TV shows? And I think like also what? some of like the-
1: what are you talking about? Uh,
0: All creatures great and small. Yes. Like, what is it about all creatures great and small that you like? Because I think that is in that same stream. Mm -hmm. It even struck me. Sorry, I'm spoiling the interview a little bit. But she talked to some women that were like, you know, why do you like romance books? And they're like, oh, I didn't think of them as romance books. I thought of them as more like time period pieces, right? That Mm -hmm. are just happy endings. Uh, There's that again. Oh, my
1: gosh.
0: And then there's like a romantic theme in them.
1: I feel like people should be playing like a drinking game while they listen to this podcast and take a shot every time me and Chrisman do not figure out that we're doing some sort of naughty pun. Okay. Um, so (laughs)
0: I'm forgetting what we're talking about. Why do you like these stories? Well, I
1: don't exactly know why people have different like comfort shows and different things like that, but I think it's worth mentioning that don't just leave it at that with these Amish books in Christian fiction, particular both because we don't want to just leave it there for the readers but we don't want to leave it there for the machine of publishing does that make sense and i do believe that valerie is saying like the machine keeps churning out these books and they contain an element of like political
0: nostalgia, nostalgia. so Great.
1: i think i think it's it's complicated i do try and keep that tension there but there's just something so stark about this this trend of Amish fiction that has just swallowed up the Christian fiction market, and it's, woo, it's like really intense actually when you kind of step back and look at it. So,
0: anyways, mm-hmm. that's
1: me. I'm I'm going back to the depths of despair, just thinking about. It. I have read an Amish fiction book a time or two in my life. Have you?
0: No, I have not.
1: Okay, I wonder how many of our listeners have. Um, they're boring.
0: Let me tell you that right now. Uh And
1: what do you think about all these women who told Valerie that they read these books for like devotional reading? What do you think of that?
0: I mean, I think in some ways that's the reason that we read scripture is because we have these, (laughs) the look on your face. (laughs) Okay, keep going. (laughs) Let me, let me defend myself. (laughs) I'm not saying it's good, but uh, with scripture, we read these stories of people of faith living their lives Mm -hmm. and the ways that they leaned on God or looked to God and, you know, like the ways that God intervened, et cetera. And so I think I'm not saying that it's the same as scripture, but I'm saying that functionally it feels the same. So much of scripture is these stories, especially around women coming from hard places, Mm -hmm. right? And then God showing up in some way. So I think that there's, I think maybe in that way, it almost feels like familiar, yeah, well... Uh, I'm giving a big benefit of the doubt there. There we go.
1: Well, yeah, so I hope you guys listen to this interview. I'm also going to be interviewing um, some people from the wonderful podcast um, Just Plain Wrong, P-L-A-I-N, Just Plain Wrong. It's a, it's like three, or maybe it's just two. Oh, no. It's some Mennonite librarians who like discuss Amish inspirational fiction. It's a wonderful podcast. Go check that in the meantime, but I will be talking to them about the book that kicked off this trend which is Beverly Lewis's The Shunning so be on the lookout for that one too but for now enjoy my interview with Valerie Zerker Weaver author of The Thrill of the Chase Okay I'm so excited today I get to talk to somebody I have no at least online for a while, Valerie Weaver-Zerker. I know Valerie as an incredible editor and also um, a really, really interesting writer. I've had... Valerie's book on my bookshelf for about two years now because I've been wanting to do this podcast series on Christian romance for about two years. And Valerie wrote a book in 2012 called Thrill of the Chaste, The Allure of Amish Romance Novels. So Valerie, thank you so much for being here today and for talking to me.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's a real treat.
1: So you are an expert on
2: Amish romance novels, is that correct? I suppose you could say that. It's a a relatively small thing to be an expert on in the scope of uh, the world. But um, I would say I I have studied it probably more deeply than certainly anyone I've met and um, have not, um, like I mentioned to you, necessarily kept up on what's happening and the incredible growth of the field since I published my book. But um, yeah, you could say I know a lot about them. (laughs) And I love your book because
1: it's It's exactly my sweet spot of it is not a book that's set out to like expose Amish romance novels or to even just study the history of it. You actually are just asking a lot of complex questions about sort of a cultural phenomenon that has happened within Christian publishing. And much of it is driven by the readership of white evangelical women. And so there's this fascinating confluence right of things happening and you were like i think this is worthy of study and i just love people like that so thank you so much for for doing that work but it's been a while since you published your book 2012 um i was just wondering if what, what would you say was the peak of sort of the amish fiction inspirational boom when what what year do you think was the peak of that
2: well, to be honest, I I don't know whether it's peaked or not. I mm-hmm. uh, certainly certainly um, in 2012 2013 when I was researching, writing, publishing the book, there was no sign of any uh, let up in terms of the number of Amish themed novels being published every year. So I have like a little graph in my book, and the the slope is only going up. So um my sense in anecdotally in the years since my book has come out is that there's been no slowdown um i was just looking at some information about beverly lewis who's one of the probably the premier author in the genre um she has sold 17 million books she's publishing her first one came out in 1997 it basically created the modern um Kind of iteration of the Amish romance novel. 1997. She's still actively publishing. Books have been translated into 12 languages. It, I think it would be about 2007, 2008 that we really see it begin to take off. But in terms of a peak, I'm I'm not sure that's happened. <gasps>
1: see that? So in my mind, I'm reading your book and I'm like, I'm sure the peak was right around 2012. At the same time. The reason I started even thinking about Amish romance as a thing is, uh, you know, I went into a Christian bookstore just to be properly horrified about what's, you know, being sold there and also to see if my books were there, just to be perfectly honest. Of course. It was a few years ago. And I remember walking into the bookstore and being like, I'm surrounded by white women wearing bonnets. Like, that's just the sense I had walking into the store, every book cover that was facing me was a white lady with a bonnet. And I was like, what's happening? Yeah. Like, I yeah. didn't know. I was asleep. I was doing other things. Like, something happened when I wasn't looking. And this is now what Christian publishing is. Yeah. Uh, and and you're saying that's kind of what happened, right? It kind of exploded. Onto it did.
2: The and, and I was just reading an article in Publishers Weekly. Now, this was from 2017. Um, but not, you know, not that long ago, um, uh, about, Uh, Christian fiction, the kind of, um, uh, larger category within which Amish fiction is housed. And the, the journalist is, says in 2017, it's still extremely popular. You know, it, um, lists lots of, um, New novels that are coming out. Just this afternoon, I went to the website of um, Thomas Nelson Zondervan Fiction, which is a, a merged imprint. Those used to be two separate houses. But, you know, the first slide on their website slide is "Holiday of Hope," an Amish Christmas wedding story. So, like the first book you see when you go to the Thomas Nelson Zondervan um, Fiction website is an Amish romance novel. So, yeah, and it has all the
1: words in there. It has christmas it has marriage it has or is it wedding
2: <laughs> yeah yeah it it's uh it's a really interesting kind of um uh distillation of what white evangelical women want to be reading about and um an amish novelist's ability to deliver um so yeah yeah uh, Christmas and weddings really aren't, um, especially Christmas, is it's certainly a part of Amish life when if you weren't going to talk about kind of what the genre does in terms of distorting or um, reflecting quote-unquote accurate perceptions of Amish life, and that's a whole topic we can talk about. But, um, you know, Christmas celebrations in, among the Amish are relatively muted compared to um, what most of us um, who are not Amish are used to. Weddings are important in Amish life, but they would be nothing um, like the kind of wedding industry that, again, many of us would um, presume to to be the case. So, yeah, real interesting kind of uh, uh, novel there.
1: Yeah, and I just went into a bookstore, not sort of like a discount bookstore, not Christian, but their Christian section. I. I counted at least four Amish Christmas romance books, you know, and these are, yeah, these are just current day books. Mm -hmm. seems very popular. Um, I was reading in your book that in 2012, an Amish romance novel was published every four days. Like these figures to me are astonishing. And I think it's important here um, to say, like, we're going to be talking about white evangelical women, what they read and, you know, I don't want to denigrate it. I want to um, observe it and be interested in it without pathologizing it. I don't know you, you did this so well in your book, so what was your how did you approach this uh this topic because I can really sense you just like to bring up a lot of questions.
2: Well, I became very interested in people's responses to me when they would find out that I was writing about Amish romance fiction um and the it was a i i began to kind of be almost as interested in that question the responses i was getting as the questions of why these books are so popular and why they're so popular now you know certainly at the beginning of any research project or book that you begin to write as you know you have to figure out like what is the main inquiry what are the central questions that i'm going to occupy myself with but yeah i was really much more interested the people who were reading them. And you're right, by and large, that is a white evangelical woman, not entirely. I mean, there are male readers of these books. There's a, actually a huge global readership, so it's not just a US-based market. There are Amish readers of this book. But, but yes, as a subgenre of evangelical Christian fiction, the truest audience for the books are white evangelical women readers. And so I visited some a book group, I talked to a lot of readers, my life is adjacent to and surrounded by a lot of white evangelicals um and so i had ready access to to people who that, that i could interview and i did i did pretty quickly determine that i wanted to if i wanted to understand why they loved the books i had to listen to them and i had to listen to them carefully mm. and without a lot of preconceptions um I don't i don't regret that stance i think it helped me to understand what was going on pretty well I, I think i would have written a different book if i had written it today i think it would have been a harder task um to to have an empathic gaze post 2016. Mm-hmm. i think there are a lot of reasons i was um unaware and probably in part being a white woman myself i was not aware of where white evangelical women were beginning to, or had already begun to move politically. And I didn't have a political kind of um, analysis happening in my brain when I was writing the book. And so again, I kind of, I kind of regret that in the sense that I wish I'd asked some different questions and, and made some more connections between whiteness and Christian nationalism and this topic. At the same time, um it was probably easier for me to maintain um kind of an empathetic or um open-minded kind of um approach to the readers if that makes sense
1: it does but also i you know if i were you i wouldn't be super hard on yourself because you said you were trying to listen to the actual readers and they would never explicitly say Mm -hmm. i read these books because they reflect like a white nationalist christian utopia Uh, right right? (laughs) they would not say that to you um And so there's some of that work where you have to listen, but also um, do some of the sort of sociological work to say there's other factors going into play here. You know, even looking at the charts in your book saying this really started to explode in 2008, 2007 is like, yeah, that's when the recession happened, right? And that's when people go to fiction for comfort. And you, I think on another podcast, I heard you say, you know, I bet. Amish fiction is having a little bit of a resurgence right now, right? During COVID times, like
2: mm-hmm.
1: fiction explodes and, and these comfort things. What I loved about your book is, is you're pretty forthright about this idea that, you know, everybody has a theory about why women read Amish romance novels. Yeah. What you focused in on is um, it does seem to be a response to hyper-modernity and like hypersexuality in culture. And those are things that people kind of felt okay agreeing with you about it. Am I right in saying that?
2: Yeah, I often, um, I'm trying to think, I I guess I would sometimes bring up those terms later in conversations with um, readers of Amish fiction as I was beginning to kind of make sense of them myself. You know, I'd ask them why they like the novels and they would say, oh, they reflect this kind of slow, simple pace of life. And then they would talk about their own sense of harried schedules and inability to keep up with technological change and um, com- you know, pace of communication. And um, you know, they'd be telling me those things in those words. And then I was reading you know, the, this French theorist who came up with the term hypermodernity. I'm going to butcher his name, I'm sure. Gilles Lipovetsky. And he would be talking about this kind of um, spreading over culture sense of life being sped up. So, um, from this kind of theoretical perspective, um, saying very much the same thing that I was hearing from readers. Um, Hypersexualization, you know, a lot of the readers talk, you know, describe these books as clean reads. they don't even necessarily see them as romance novels. One r- reader I talked to was like, I talked about Amish romance novels to her and she was like, romance novels? I don't think of these as romance novels. Well, I guess they have romance in them. But, you know, she she, um, and her and the readers that love these books um, are very clearly, I would say, most of them situated within purity culture. Um, kind of overwhelmed by what they see as an over-sexualized um, larger popular culture. Um, I I relied on the work of some journalists and sociologists who are not themselves evangelicals, but who are identifying what they call hypersexualization of popular culture, the kind of um, entry of kind of a Pornographic aesthetic into the center of kind of popular culture in a way that it wouldn't have been in the 70s or 80s. Um, you know, we can talk a lot about the various dimensions, including the harmful ones, about purity culture and evangelical um, kind of sexual ethic. But it's very clearly a, a part of the engine of of the subgenre is that evangelical women are feeling embattled. Especially mothers are feeling embattled by um, hypersexualized kind of um, cultural products, and so these novels become an escape for them um, to this very chaste textual environment. You know, these are not um, these are these are not novels that play on erotic, um, you know, energy. There's there's very little sexual encounter. Um, narrated it's suggested you know behind the bedroom door after marriage um but then there's also interesting things around the amish themselves being kind of perceived as this chaste culture not not literally but of course they have big families so they're not um themselves virginal, but they certainly just in the minds of lots of people occupy kind of a virginal space on our cultural landscape.
1: And that's the thing about Amish romance. It's not like a simple question mm-hmm. and it's not a simple reason why people read this. You touched on a few things that I wanna just uh tease out a little bit. One is you said there's like no sexual content in these books and from what I can remember reading a few here and there, I you know, yeah, nothing in there. There is some like cultural perception uh you know what are they called bonnet books you know bonnet rippers (laughs) and like you even in your book go into like how the the secular media like doesn't understand these books at all they think they're about amish people having sex yeah (laughs) and you're just like there's none of that in there at all um something else is going on in there and it's not just because evangelical women are repressed and read books about repressed eroticism. That is actually not what's going on in these books either. I, whenever I bring up any kind of Christian romance, but including like Amish romance, like uh, on social media, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, that's porn for women. Those books are just yeah. porn for women. I was like, have you ever read
2: them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's really the widespread perception that it's somehow this Um. That, that, yeah there are these um, barely submerged they're a way for women with barely submerged kind of um, sexual desires to work these things out in their reading and and it's just um, it's not what I found to be true in the novels there's there's yeah anybody who's read the, now there yeah anybody who's read Amish novels produced by evangelical Christian houses will just be disappointed. I think if they're looking for some of that kind of sexual energy in the mm-hmm. pages of the book, it's just not, it's not there. There's kissing, um, there's hand holding, there's um, sweetness, there's hugs. Um, there's a, some, some of the Christian authors have a little bit more measure of like long, you know, gazes of longing or the hair that comes out of the covering that is a little bit more erotic feeling, but I just think it would be pretty disappointing to readers who feel like they're gonna find um, a lot of clues about evangelical women's sexuality or repressed yeah. desire because it's, uh, it's just not.
1: Really yeah. That's cool. not, that's not what these books are doing culturally. I mean, it's not even like a Jane Austen, right. Who, who right. you mentioned in your book, right. It's, it's nothing like that. One thing I wanted to hone in on is you were saying when you talked to these women, they said what they loved the most was that it brought them closer to God. So it's very evangelical in that um, there's, there's always like a crisis moment, right. Where the heroine, um, has to learn to trust God or has to learn to trust Jesus as her personal savior or have some kind of a personal relationship with Jesus or God. Um and that really kind of floored me. I mean I should know that. I grew up evangelical. I know the I know the testimony, the conversion story is the pinnacle of the spiritual life of the evangelical. But it was kind of shocking to read your book and be like, that's the reason why so many people love these books is yeah. they get to relive a, a conversion narrative and and they yeah. actually feel spiritually
2: like it feeds up spiritually um, in that way, yeah, and that's I, I think that's exactly right. There is a devotional quality to these books. women over and over again told me how they, reading them strengthens their relationship to God or helps them feel closer to Christ. historically, the Amish themselves are not Evangelical. Many of them are using more evangelical language to describe their faith than mm-hmm. would have been true in the 50s and the 60s. But, but historically speaking, I would say the Amish would have lacked a vocabulary of like personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Like that's evangelical speak in a way that's, I would say, would have been fairly foreign to to the Amish. They speak about the new birth. Um, they're uh, obviously exceedingly um, and deeply um religious people with uh, an understanding of connecting with God in various ways but they do that Have historically done that very differently than white American evangelicals um it's been through the community you know it's been through um disciplines of the faith um and the language of personal salvation I mean The Amish, many Amish would still articulate uh, a hope of salvation, um, that their humility prevents them from talking about assurance of salvation in the ways that evangelicals do. So there's really interesting, yeah, kind of um, ways that the books, I think, superimpose an evangelical spirituality on top of kind of Amish characters.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing that is interesting to me, and you said if you would write the book now, you know, you would probably focus more on um, race and mm-hmm. these these questions of Christian nationalism. And I've just really been struggling through thinking about that. Like, um, so so publishers, you know, uh, writers like Beverly Lewis, they could have taken any culture and kind of superimposed these um, you know testimony narratives into that, uh, but they didn't. They they chose the Amish, and it became very, very popular. And, and I like also in your book, you're like, we can't just talk about like white evangelical really like to read these books. Like publishers know how to market it. Like the, the marketing, uh, stuff is all really important. Um, and, and needs to be observed as well. But I, you know, I, I've been living in relationship to, um, you know, Muslim women for the past 15 years and, and they, you know, came from these farming backgrounds they came from a pastoral life you know they're quite uh chased in some of these ways they come from a patriarchal society their faith is very important to them and i was like you don't see muslim romance novels uh gracing the shelves of a christian bookstore or more uh, observant jewish sex you don't see it happening with roman catholicism like none of that has been yeah exploited and commandeered by the evangelical publishing machine but the amish were it's
2: super interesting to me and again i feel like it's a piece that i kind of missed um i mean i write about race in the book i have some level when i'm writing the book of awareness that the amish are really this kind of hyper white community ethno-religious community um in some ways these little colonies of whiteness, really, within the United States and Canada, and the hyper whiteness of Amish communities, um, I think, has to be a factor in the draw for authors and readers and evangelical publishers um, and, and just the success of the book. There is a nostalgia politics that, of course, we saw and see operating in terms of Trumpism and the um, kind of growth of MAGA Nation and the 81% of white evangelicals who voted for Trump. Um, there, there, is a, there is a nostalgia at the root of, polit- of, of white evangelical politics, and there's a nostalgia at the root of white evangelical reading habits. And I don't think I connected those or was prepared to connect them. Um, but there were there were readers who told me things like, I feel like the Amish were the live the way we used to live. You know, there's this sense in the in the white evangelical female imagination, and and maybe this is too strong a point to make, but I think there's um, kind of a nostalgic connection to to the Amish, and and it's just a it's a it's a it is a really interesting element. I think there's a there's a there's an engine of nostalgia that I I did examine. But there's an engine of white nostalgia that I did not quite fully comprehend.
1: I think that's a really interesting way to put it. And as much as we don't want to denigrate, you know, the reading habits of women and we believe they deserve careful thought and analysis. I think it's also okay to say the things that white evangelical women are interested in um, can have some really dangerous repercussions. Mm -hmm. Like this is not Mm -hmm. happening in a vacuum or a void. Right. And it if they're engaging imaginatively in a place that is hyper white um, and it yeah, has these nostalgia politics, yeah, that that's going to have some actual social um, impact, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I want to be clear about that. You know, I'm not here to yeah. yell about women's reading habits, but I also think they matter and I think they have political repercussions. I, I don't know. It's just the Amish are also possibly an interesting way for for women to figure out how they feel about government. I don't know. Am I getting
2: this wrong? So I am a Mennonite. And for your listeners who know anything about Mennonites and Amish, there's this very, um, both historical and theological connection. Um, Both um, are... Pacifist groups, by and large, um, believe in the separation of church and state. Value simplicity, community. So, as so, but uh, as much as I, as a Mennonite, would like to at times say, the Amish are this really weird fit for white evangelical ra- writers and readers. Like they, you know, white evangelicals can't understand who the Amish truly are. And it's like this, you know, strange, these strange bedfellows. Well, there is, however, um, some real truth in in what you're saying. And I I was looking at some um, articles about Amish voting habits uh, in Lancaster County, like the Amish, um, by and large, historically did not vote. I would say that still probably a minority of Amish folks who would vote in national elections, but there's clear data Um, Not only about Republican outreach to the Amish during the 2016 and 2020 elections, but um, Amish support for Trump. And and I think there is a a way in which um, notions, evangelical notions of religious, quote unquote, religious freedom, um, Amish perspectives on the state. I think there is something really consonant about those perspectives that I, I also didn't see. The thing is, (laughs) I think you say this in
1: your book, like the Old Order Amish, which is what most of these books tend to focus on, right? They make up less than one tenth of one percent of the U.S. population. Like that is so wild to me. And yet they are the vast majority of Christian fiction publishing at this point. Like this is wild.
2: Yeah you know, I'm not sure I'm prepared to analyze why all that is. How do they occupy such a massive place in the white evangelical imagination when, like you say, demographically speaking, they're really, <laughs> it's not that large a group. They're not only interesting to evangelicals, though. It's, it's important to note that, like, non-evangelicals are really interested in the Amish, too. People of color, like they're the Japanese, are really interested in the Amish. Not not all of them, of course, but the, there, there are lots of Japanese readers of Amish fiction. So, mm. Um, and not just fiction, but nonfiction. There's there's a there's a there's a curiosity factor and an interest factor um, for not yeah non-evangelicals as well. Um, and and you know probably all you know somewhat related to the more deeply we get into an era of hypermodernity or late capitalism or whatever you want to call what we're living in, the Amish really do stand out in pretty stark relief as like resisting a lot of that they look increasingly odd you know on on um to to our eyes
1: yeah it's kind of like in in my mind some of i feel like the genre has capitulated on like what the hallmark channel has found right which is you have a formula of a busy overworked a woman, you know, who goes to a small town where life is slower paced, people are nicer, you know, and then she falls in love. So, like, the Amish romance is like a, a sub genre of that, right? Mm-hmm. And it gets to be in modern day because I'm t- going to be talking to other people throughout the season about like the pioneer narratives of Christian romance, you know, all these things that's all there, but the Amish get to bring it into the present day and to some present day issues with hyper modernity. One of my favorite things you say in your book is that these novels are kind of pushing back against hypermodernity while also cashing in on it and yeah. making tons and tons of money for yeah. publishers. Yeah.
2: That is where kind of this concept of hypermodernity really helped me make sense of what was going on. Cause I just heard over and over again from readers, oh, it's you know, they they these books help me feel like I can slow down. It's about the slow, simple pace of life. And I it, you know that's pretty obvious right like i can't write a whole book about that mm-hmm. but when i realized that the that the that the novels were both somehow able to be for readers this departure from hypermodernity even as many of them could only exist because of kind of a hypermodern publishing apparatus the kind of irony of that is so interesting so yeah i think probably one of my favorite chapters was the one about the kind of production end of Amish fiction. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So um, I still keep thinking about, you know, walking into a Christian bookstore and just being really hit visually with, you know, this this is in part about whiteness. You know, this is in part yeah. about what you call in your book, like this virginal archetype, right, of an Amish woman. And some of these books, the heroine leaves the Amish, right? And right. it's too oppressive and, and she leaves. Other times she doesn't. So it's not like there's only one narrative or one storyline in all of these things but there is that archetype that white evangelical women in particular seem very drawn to just wanting to be chased themselves wanting to be not influenced by culture wanting and then feeling free to share these with their community these are all important aspects of why they continue to be so popular i don't know if there's
2: anything else anything else you would add to this book in 2022 oh, i think you're questions and your points are right on. I mean, there is whiteness encoded into the DNA of this genre that there's just no escaping. Will there ever be a day you'll walk into a Christian bookstore and there will be that many Black women on covers? Unless Christian publishing itself changes. Um, And it's changing, but like, (laughs) as long as white supremacy exists and white evangelicals are driving the kind of taste making and the gatekeepers of the publishing industry or the media industry for their you know in the christian world it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine and that that leaves me with a lot of despair and sadness and fury and um i don't know quite how I would have written a book uh, with that level, with the level of despair and sadness and fury um, that I've, and I think a lot of us have felt in, in, in recent years. Yeah. And
1: I think, uh, you know, this will be something for me to continue to think about as I do this season, but in, in so many instances, like genre fiction is a place for people who maybe have had outsider status to, um, you know, write stories where they see themselves front and center. And so like my own, Daughter who's 11 is growing up with YA books, is growing up with graphic novels, is growing up with so many varied representations of what it's like to be human way more than mm-hmm. I did, right? And I grew yeah. up where even the Babesers Club was a little too worldly for me, you know? <laughs> okay. um, that's yeah. my mom. Um, so, so I'm just like, there's such an explosion of diverse voices in fiction in particular. And then you go to a Christian bookstore and, yeah. and it is not happening there. And it's, the, it's becoming an enclave of whiteness yeah. where, you know, you'll be safe if you're looking for whiteness. Um, yeah. And I think that's really sad and an accurate representation of, um, you know, traditional Christian, uh, fiction. I, I would say I'm a nonfiction writer, so I see some movement in yep. Christian nonfiction publishing towards diversity, uh, yep. but not in
2: fiction. So uh, yep. it's just something to keep in mind. And even if it happens in like larger Christian fiction worlds, which I'm assuming it is or will be, I mean, how long do Black Christians put up with, you know, or other Christians of color put up with um, the absolute you know lack of any attentiveness to their communities or issues so but 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 that's not gonna you know I, i'm not sh- i don't know how amish fiction changes i could hold out a measure of hope that christian fiction changes but i don't know how amish fiction changes with regard to whiteness i mean um it just it's so it's so encoded and encrypted and you know deeply woven within its um Identity as a subgenre. I'm just not sure how how it changes.
1: Yeah, I don't think it can and so it's a self-perpetuating and really profitable um, you know system that can only center whiteness. So yeah, it's good to be critical of it. It's good to, if you read these books, um, you know, make sure you're diversifying the rest of your life. And that's a really important point too, you say in your book is uh, women, evangelical women don't just read Amish romances. Women readers in general, you know, have a wide range of reading
2: habits. It's really important to keep that in mind. Exactly. And certainly many of the women I talk to read very widely they they're reading literary fiction they're reading you know nonfiction um, certainly I would not want to be judged by every book that I've read. I mean certainly reading habits um, they they belong to the realm of the imagination and um, there 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 is a line to walk, yes in terms of how we think about the connections between reading habits and politics and race. Um, but certainly um, there are strands to, to pay, pay attention to.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much, Valerie, for taking time out of your day to talk to me about this. Um, is there any projects or anything you would like to plug or talk about or have people find you on social media?
2: Oh, goodness. I am so non-active and lurky on social media. Um, so my day, I am an editor. I'm not doing much writing of my own these days. I could plug the authors I'm working with all day long. <laughs> I work with a wonderful group of authors um, at Broadleaf Books um, for my day job. So broadleafbooks.com is a great place to find them. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I would love to write another book someday. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, this was a really, really fun one to work on and um maybe maybe down the road i'll find another topic as engaging as this one but yeah the broadleafbooks.com would be the place i would point listeners to
1: okay and i am a broadleaf author but you were not my editor you know no sadly and i when i reached out to you i wasn't actually even thinking that we're both you know involved at broadleaf but we yeah. are and so uh, i'll plug broadleaf uh, authors as well and and I mean, I know nerds listen to this podcast, but seriously, The Thrill of the chase is a wonderful book. It is it is very academic, but it's very readable. It's fascinating. so interesting. It was quite a pleasure to read. So thank you for writing it. And thank you thank- so much
2: for coming on. Thank you so much. It's a total honor.
0: This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and send us emails at propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. You can join our Patreon community for as little as $1.50 a month for more discussions of evangelical media and the occasional virtual hangout. You can find show notes and transcription of this episode at our website, propheticimaginationstation.com. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes. And lastly, between the two of us, we've written a few books— You can find Danielle's latest book, Myth of the American Dream, and Crispin's book, Attached to God, wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening.